TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. It's Talking Golf with Ann Liguori on the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Talking golf with Ann Liguori on this Sunday morning, July 16th. How are we doing this morning? Talking Golf with Ann Liguori is brought to you by I Be Cool Luxury Athleisure Apparel for Men and Women featuring the exclusive Ice Feel cooling technology along with UPF 50 Plus Sun Protection. Visit IBKUL.com to learn more. All right, well, let's dive right in. This past Tuesday, I watched the Senate hearing on the framework deal between the PJ Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund in its entirety. And I thought it was both compelling and disturbing. It's not that we learned anything really new about the framework deal, but we did hear many times in different ways, uh, stated by PJ Tour COO Ron Price and PJ Tour board member Jimmy Dunn, that uh, the PJ Tour is in serious financial trouble in this current scenario, competing against the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund. Price and Dunn said repeatedly that the PJ Tour cannot compete with the PIF, and basically the PJ Tour is better off working with the Saudis, using the Saudi investment dollars, while the PJ Tour maintains control, so they say. The PJ Tour says that competing against the Saudis would be financially devastating. And basically, the philosophy sounds like it's, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, I thought Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat uh, Connecticut, who chairs the U.S. Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, and Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, and several other senators who asked questions, did a really good job questioning PJ Tour COO Ron Price and PJ Tour board member Jimmy Dunn for almost three hours. It wasn't difficult to figure out which senator sympathized with the PJ Tour, Senator Johnson, and which senator did not, Senator Blumenthal. Uh, I'm going to offer some of my observations now, and after the 820 break, I'll bring in Dave Marr, the longtime radio and TV golf broadcaster, host of six different shows on Sirius PJ Tour Radio, and he will share his insight as well. And then in the 840 segment, we'll talk with Mary B. Porter, a very influential person in the golf world. She's a former LPGA Tour player, longtime rules official. She has lived in Hawaii for a long time. And as the co-founder of the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association, Mary B. and the organization have tremendous impact on junior golfers coming out of Hawaii, including last Sunday's U.S. Women's Open champ, Allison Corpus. All right, but back to the hearing. Uh, First off, Senator Blumenthal brought up several points that I thought were very interesting. He asked several times, 
how much money is on the table that the Saudi Public Investment Fund plans to invest? He said, Americans deserve to know. And, you know, it took asking that question several times before PJ Tour COO Ron Price answered, in quotes, north of $1 billion. So that's apparently the investment number that they are discussing. Uh, Blumenthal stressed that the Saudi government has never been transparent about 9-11, nor with the 9-11 families. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, Republican Wisconsin, he sounded more sympathetic toward the PJ Tour and their reasons for this framework agreement. He chimed in and quotes, there's nothing wrong with the PJ Tour negotiating for its survival, end quote, which is a scary thought when you really think about it. Uh, Ron Price reiterated that the PJ Tour would have control over operations, that the scenario is, in quotes, a predicament that we, the PJ Tour, found ourselves in, end quote. Jimmy Dunn, he's a newer PJ Tour policy board member. He's the one that initiated the conversations with Saudi Public Investment Fund Governor Yasser al-Rumayan. He said his concern is that if the fighting continued, golf would be damaged forever. He said that the tour had to move forward toward a solution in a way to preserve the tour and that the PJ Tour was in a position of strength when they contacted Saudi Arabia. Dunn stressed that the only part of the deal that is solidified so far is that the lawsuits have been settled. Uh, Jimmy Dunn also emphasized that the tour will continue to manage the game and have the majority vote in the board meetings. He said the tour is in control. Dunn and Price said they believe the PJ Tour would benefit the most from the proposed deal and that if a deal were to get done, the tour would definitely stay intact and become more powerful. And said he hoped that, yes, our, our Remain would have a more productive role in the game of golf. Well, personally, I question this PJ Tour control. If the Saudis are the majority investor, I find it difficult to believe that they would not call the shots and or have greater influence in the decision-making. Jimmy Dunn said his entire concern is to put this divisive period behind them. He also added that he's concerned that if the PJ Tour did not do the deal, that the Saudis would really own golf. He added that nothing would happen with the agreement unless they have the players' support. Uh, Price said the tour did not seek out the Saudis. He said we are in a situation where we faced a real threat. He said you could go elsewhere for $1 billion, $3 billion, maybe $50 billion. We would do it, but if we went down that path, he said, we would end up giving up total control. Uh, some more notes that I took here. Jimmy Dunn agreed to meet with the 9-11 families when Senator Blumenthal put him on the spot and asked him if he would meet with the 9-11 families, some of whom were present at the Senate hearing. Uh, I wonder if his mind will be swayed after meeting with these families. I mean, Jimmy Dunn himself gets choked up every time he talks about 9-11 and losing many of his friends and colleagues in 9-11. He was playing in a golf event that day, or he would have been in his office, he said, in one of the towers. Uh, Jimmy Dunn also said the country cannot look at all Saudis and blame them for 9-11. He said that he thought that Yasser al-Rumayan respected the tour and did not have the attitude that they would be taking over. Uh, Blumenthal asked if the PJ Tour has other sources of funding, and Ron Price, again the tour COO, said they did not have specific conversations with other sources of funding. He was also, Blumenthal was also concerned about players being prevented from speaking their minds, that the agreement had a broad non-disparagement clause, 
and he asked whether that clause would prevent golfers from discussing Saudi Arabia's human rights record or saying anything critical about Saudi Arabia. And Jimmy Dunn said that they would advocate for the players to have a right to say what they want. Hello, it's called freedom of speech, right? In our country. All right, Senator Rand Paul, Republican Kentucky, he questioned why Congress was investigating golf in the first place. He said it is not the business of government. Then he had Senator Marshall, Republican Kansas. He asked, who has most to gain financially and with power? And Price and Dunn answered that the PGA Tour stays intact and becomes actually more powerful, and that Saudi PIF Governor Yasser Arameyan gets a more productive role in golf. Uh, in the documents sent to Congress before the hearing, one of the requests from the PIF was for Arameyan to get membership at Augusta National and the Royal and Ancient Golf Club in St. Andrews. Well, this request to me is laughable. I mean, the PJ Tour does not control membership in either of these exclusive golf clubs. Someone does not seek membership into Augusta National. If they want you as a member, they approach you. And requesting a membership there as a point in a negotiation, that's not how it works. I don't care how much money you have, and, and I don't think they care how much money you have either. So that will be interesting to see. Uh, Jimmy Dunn did mention that the initial rollout when they first announced this proposed partnership was, in quotes, everyone's fault. Yes, glad he admitted how poorly the announcement was made on so many different levels when they first came out with it. Uh, Dunn said in quotes, after the, the initial surge of anxiety, now comes the reality of putting the deal together. He said, but too many cooks in the kitchen could have a negative effect. In this case, he said, everyone in the world is in the kitchen. Uh, Senator Hawley, Republican Missouri, he grilled the PGA Tour COO, Ron Price, on the PGA Tour doing business with China. Price said that the PGA Tour China series last operated in 2019, but was uncertain about any other business with China. Price's answers on all of this uh, were sketchy at best. Um, Bloomingthal emphasized that the PGA Tour still has a chance to stand up against sports washing, that America will stand up with them, he said, and it's a powerful quote, he said, there is something that stinks about the path you're on right now because it's all about the money. Well, that's true. Very true. Well, it's sad that the PJ Tour has to sell its very soul, this is my opinion now, for the money. And I do believe there are other options. I uh, do believe that the PJ Tour should have more faith in PJ Tour players, the top players that are there now. I don't f feel we're going to bolt to live uh, they want to play golf with the best format and with the best players in the world, and that is the PGA Tour. You know, with the exception of, of a couple top live players, Brooks Kepka, Cam Smith, you know, most of the other top players play for the PGA Tour, and they voice strong opinions against live golf. So Bloomingthal also said that the Saudis can be disruptive because they don't have to care about the economic results. They are a total autocracy. And that will continue with your equity ownership of PJ Tour through this profit-making entity that they will control financially. He said, looking at the future, you, the PJ Tour, are not out of the woods. He said, the Saudis are going to continue to have this kind of bucket full of money. They will wield the influence that they do. Whatever the good intentions or the rhetoric now, you, the PJ Tour, still have to reach a deal. And uh, he says his hope is that the PJ Tour will resist the bucket full of money. 
He hopes the PJ Tour will stand up and frankly avoid the sellout that this deal seems to be. So yeah, it was pretty powerful hearing. Uh, Price told Bloomingthal during the hearing that Greg Norman's role, uh, he runs Live Golf, will be eliminated if the tour takes control of Live Golf. Price said that the PJ Tour has a complete infrastructure in place to manage events, and it would make no sense to bring in that type of executive to manage what is now 14 series of events. And, of course, a week ago Saturday, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson, who was on the PGA Tour policy board, he resigned, telling the board he had, in quotes, serious concerns about the proposed alliance, which he could not objectively evaluate or in good conscience support, particularly in the light of the U.S. intelligence report concerning Jamal Kasagi. All right, well, we'll discuss more of these points in detail after the 820 break with longtime golf broadcaster Dave Marr. There is a lot of other news going on at the Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club. Final round play is actually already underway as tee times were moved up due to inclement weather in the forecast. McElroy, he had a 367 yesterday, and he started the round with a one-shot lead at 13 under, but he is plus one through 13 holes so far this morning. He's now at 12 under, and that is two shots behind the leader, Robert McIntyre, a Scotsman. McIntyre is uh, going to town six under through 15 holes. He is 14 under overall. And Rory is eight for 12 when leading or co-leading through 54 holes. Steve Stricker, he shot a 565 yesterday for a share of the lead with Harrison Fraser in the uh, Kale Companies Championship. It's the fourth of the PGA Tour champions' five major tournaments. Both guys are at seven under. Bernard Longer, who won the U.S. Senior Open two weeks ago to break the PGA Tour champions' career victory record, he is tied for eighth. Uh, They are playing at Firestone in Akron. Uh, sports celebrities are out in full force at the American Century Championship in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, at the East Edgewood Tahoe Golf Course. Love that course. It is Stefan Curry who leads with 50 points after two rounds. Uh, he's three points ahead of Joe Pavelski and Marty Fish, and Annika Sorenstan is tied for eighth. Tony Romo, the defending champion, is tied for 12th with Aaron Rodgers. And at the LPGA Dana Open at Highland Meadows Golf Club in Ohio, Lynn Grant of Sweden has a six-shot lead. She is eight under after shooting a nine under 62 in a round that had a four-hour rain delay. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, Dave Marr, longtime golf broadcaster with six shows on Sirius PJ Tour Radio. He will join us. He's also the son of uh, 1965 PJ champion Dave Marr, who was a Ryder Cup captain and player and TV golf analyst himself. Dave Marr III will join us in a few minutes. But first, let me tell you that I Be Cool Luxury Athleisure Wear, both for men and women, offers the highest performance-driven apparel to look and feel your best on and off the course. Ibucol offers multifunctional, intelligent moisture sensor fabrics featuring the exclusive Icefield technology that cools your skin up to five degrees so you can stay cool, comfortable, and odor-free on hot and humid days. Ibucol apparel also features UPF 50 plus sun protection. It's colorful, it's stylish, ultra soft fabrics with the latest technology to protect your skin. Look and feel your best. Learn more at ibkol.com. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. 
news. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Got clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. It's talking Golf with Ann Liguori on The Fan. Welcome back to Talking Golf. How are we doing this morning? Well, as you heard earlier, busy week in golf, particularly with the Senate hearing earlier this week. And over though, even though there were really, there wasn't much new information to come out of it. But if you watched it carefully, I do think we did pick up a lot more than meets the eye. And uh, joining me now to offer his insight on the hearing and other top stories in golf is the one and only Dave Moore. He is the host of six shows on Sirius PJ Tour Radio with a long history of contributions in radio and television. Welcome to Talking Golf, Dave. How are you? Doing well, Ann. Great to be on your show and looking forward to the chat. I always love chatting. Yeah, glad you can make time for us. And, you know, overall, I think the Senate hearing was important to kind of get more of a sense about where the PJ Tour is and all of this. The, the senators, I thought, were well prepared. And, uh, you know, and I think they have every right to ask the questions that they did because golf, like most sports in our country, is an American institution. And we as Americans, I feel, should do everything we can to preserve golf in our country and really not let a foreign entity, be it Saudi Arabia or China or whomever, take over golf and have the biggest financial stake on our turf. What are your overall feelings about all that? Well, I totally agree with you. First of all, I think not only do these senators have the right, but they, they have the obligation to make sure that an institution like uh, like golf is treated fairly from a, an economic standpoint. And whatever happens as far as the game is concerned and who runs the upper echelon of the entertainment side of sports. Because, look, at the end of the day, there are 25.6 million golfers in the U.S. 200 of them, maybe 1,000 of them maximum, are going to be impacted by what goes on as far as the LIB, PGA Tour, merger, no merger situation is concerned. But to let um, a foreign agency, especially one that, that has as tricky a reputation or as sullied a reputation, however you want to look at it, as Saudi Arabia come in and really uh, control what we get to see as far as the game of golf is concerned moving forward, uh, it's it's something that could disturb the entire kind of underground tenant of the game and what the game is all about. It's always been one that prides itself on, you know, what you mark down on the score is your is the way you, you, you go about being judged in the game, but you also have a 
a certain amount of etiquette you need to play by and, and unwritten rules as well that need to be adhered to as well. And from my perspective, there are lots of people who like the LIV product, the Saudi Golf League product, um, with the shotgun starts, the shorts that the pros are wearing, the, the music, the 54 holes. And that's fine. I mean, some people like Top Golf and some people like Augusta National and some people like both. So from my perspective, that's not really my taste. I'm traditional, mm-hmm. that having been a PGA champion. So for me, it's important to get to the bottom of how how is this uh, partnership going to come together, if it comes together. And if it does, does the tradition of the game, is that going to be able to be intact? Or does the, the, the folks with the biggest pocketbook get to control You know how we end up seeing the game? From here forward, how we all play it, it's all going to stay the same. But what we get to enjoy at the highest levels is something that's been in effect since, you know, the 1930s, 1920s, really, with uh, with Walter Hagen and the rest. And my dad, when he played on tour in the 1960s. So how's it going to be moving forward? That's a big question mark, and it's one that I don't think was really answered at the Senate hearings. But I do like to see that the Senate and our government is very interested and very protective on what's going to happen. And those who are running the game. Yeah. But, and I mean, those who are running uh, and helping the PGA tour as independent directors, Jimmy Dunn and Hurley and the others have gotten a a rap of being very selfish as far as this is concerned. And from my perspective, what I saw there was Jimmy Dunn, who happens to be a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. uh, protecting, trying to protect the game as much as he possibly can and protect the PGA tour product, which is what I've seen him do. On a, on a gratis basis for a long, long time. So right, and I feel, that, I feel that Jimmy Dunn and Ron Price, I mean, they did a very good job answering the questions, but sharing the least amount of information possible. And I really don't think they know much um, more than what they really um, said. They did, uh, uh, Price was pushed on how much of an investment would come from PIF, and he said north of $1 billion. But, uh, you know, I also thought Senator... Richard Blumingfall, he said, my hope is that you will resist the bucket full of money, hoping the PJ Tour will stand up and frankly avoid the sellout that this deal seems to be. He said, if we are going to be selling out to countries that can throw around all kinds of money that have autocratic regimes torturing their own people, they have mounting evidence that the Saudi government was complicit in 9-11, and he cited other examples. He said, we'll lose our democracy and freedom. And, you know, it worries me that if, if Saudi Arabia comes in and can kind of, you know, dominate golf in our country financially, that, you know, what's going to stop them or any other countries from doing it with other sports in our country? No, I totally agree with you. But it's also, it's, it's in some degree happening in other sports, people buying, uh, anyone's allowed to buy a, a, an NFL team, but they've got to go through the rigors of the NFL competition committee and all that. As far as the game of golf is concerned, no, I do agree with what you said, but I don't think there was a lot of information for them to share. I mean, there's not a, a deal memo put together. They, they've got to take whatever deal they have. I'm talking about the PGA Tour independent directors back to the membership and try and sell them on this being the best situation they can be a part of the PGA Tour. I will say back when the tour was formed, and my dad was like the 13th guy on the signature list. You see all the, there's a famous photo of the 100 or so guys that signed from the tour uh, to create the PGA Tour from the PGA of America. And so I've known from the very start what the real tenants of the PGA Tour has been. And, and it was, look, Jack, Arnold, Gary, Dad, all the rest of them, 
were great golfers, but they wanted businessmen as savvy as they were golfers to run the business side of the tour. And they've gotten that with Ed Hurley and Jimmy Dunn and over the years, all the exceptional businessmen and golf lovers who understand the importance of the game, but also understand the business side of things. So when they get a deal brought to them, I mean, the, the, the people have to listen, the golfers have to listen to the businessmen who are trying to work out the best possible deal for the game and for the PGA Tour members. Right. Well, I think there have to be other options for the PGA Tour, albeit removing their not-for-profit status, perhaps. But, you know, they came across in the hearings the PGA Tour as defeated, I thought, which was sad to me. And basically they sounded as if they're, you know, damned if they do and damned if they don't. And Jimmy Dunn stressed a few times that if they don't do this deal with the Saudis, then the Saudis would definitely control golf in this country and continue taking the top players with them to live, depleting the PJ Tour of its you know, top talent. Now, do you think that would be the case, Dave? Or do you have faith in the PJ Tour players that they would remain loyal to the PJ Tour? Because I, I think that they, you know, based on what the players were saying who did stay with the PJ Tour, I didn't get the sense that they were going to hop, you know, jump over to live golf. Did you? I, from what they've said, I've not gotten that sense. But I will tell you that in the past, this has happened a few times throughout history. Jack Nicholas first, Tom Watson later with Jack, have resisted the undermining of the PGA Tour and what it all means by creating an upper echelon golf tour. Are the modern-day pros, do they have the same ethics, the same caring, the same understanding that Jack Arnold did, but I think Arnold and Gary were following Jack's lead. Without Jack Nicklaus, uh, I, I think that there would have been a better case to be made for Arnold and Gary, who were great guys. I enjoyed them both throughout my entire life, but uh, were more prone to, to follow the buck. Jack was more of a, of a uh, standing on principle kind of a guy. Rory seems to be filling the shoes of Jack. Is everyone going to follow Rory? And I'm talking about Scheffler, Spieth, uh, Justin Thomas, John Rahm from overseas, will they all follow Rory? That's the important thing. The problem is the PIF, the Public Investment Fund from Saudi Arabia, could offer an amount of money or multiple of money that they weren't able to get back in the days when Jack was saying no. I mean, billions of dollars sent. They could end up, depending upon the appetite of the Saudis, and how deep they want this bottomless pit of money they're throwing uh, cash into to be. They could outspend the tour to the point where it would make it very difficult for all but a handful of players to say no. And at that point, they're going to stand on principle and for the rest of their lives not end up competing in where most of the players are going and playing. And what happens with the governing bodies at that point of the world uh, golf rankings with the major championships and all that, all the players that go play for the Saudis, regardless of, of how they got there will end up being the de facto main league. If they end up getting the lion's share, forget the top few. I think it's going to be a difficult thing to hold the, uh, hold the dam there. Once they start going, everyone that seems to have gone now, it, to me, it was kind of a dented, you know, a scratch and dent kind of a crew, you know, with Brooks Kepka who was injured, Dustin Johnson, who was unmotivated, Patrick Reed, who has his problems with the rules and all the people that took, over to Saudi uh, to the Saudi League prior to uh, weren't really the standard bearers of the game. Um, if they get a few of those guys, when Cam Smith went, 
if they get a couple of the big name players score, how do you turn down $500 million? It's, it's going to be a very tricky thing for the PGA Tour to hold those players back on principle. They can't hold them back uh, from a legal perspective. But for those to have the same kind of uh, ethics and integrity for the tour that Rory McIlroy has, who this week said, I'd retire before playing That's LIV. Right. I don't think there are as many guys there as, as we'd like to see. Um, I hope you're right, though, and I'm wrong. Well, there are, you know, the documents then that were turned over to the Senate before the hearing. And one of the requests was that Yasser Al-Ramayan receive a membership to Augusta National, uh, yeah. which I thought was laughable. What was your thoughts when you heard, what well, were your I could, thoughts when you heard that? I could send you a, a, a memo saying, you know, I'd like to have a, or an email saying, I'd, I'd like you to have a membership at Augusta National. It doesn't mean anything. He's not going to have an, a membership at Augusta National. It has all to do with Augusta National, nothing to do with the PGA Tour. And to me, it's a, it, it's a laughable request or hope that uh, I think was dangled out there as a possibility that really wasn't a possibility. I mean, yeah. for Augusta National to, to get themselves involved in this mix and mess, which they've never done on, on any tour, again, you know as well as anybody else, Augusta National, the PGA of America, the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews, and the USGA, the governing bodies for all four of the major championships, have nothing to do with the PGA Tour. They look at the PGA Tour as the tour that helps identify which players are most eligible or qualified for exemptions into their event. The Open Championship and the U.S. Open have qualifying, which used to include past champions, like the immediate past champion used to have to qualify for those championships. So Augusta National, I don't think, I think that probably caught them by surprise, even though there are those with strong ties to Augusta National in the conversation. It, it was never going to happen that way. It just never. Just crazy request. And yeah. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan will return to work tomorrow, basically, after that undisclosed medical leave. Um, will the, I guess the big question is, will the tour players trust him? Because they, a lot of them said it, it would be hard to at this point. Well, and a lot of them said it would be hard to right when the information came down. I'm a big Jay Monaghan fan. I've got a lot of friends and, and people who I know, colleagues that work at the PGA Tour, and they've loved him as a hands-on hands -on operator and, and leader, which was dissimilar to, from Pete, Tim Fincham and prior to that, uh, Beeman. But how do you trust the guy when the betrayal becomes you know, public information? And everyone starts saying, hang on one second, I really feel like I've been sold out here. And then the guy goes, I, I, look, I understand that there are, you have medical issues and, and all those things. I'm not sure what happened with Jay in that month. But you disappear almost immediately at the absolute most important time in the history of your entire organization for a month as the leader. I don't know how you survive that. Right. Strange goings on, that's for sure. Well, I'm oh, glad yeah. he is uh, healthy and coming back to work. Uh, we're out of time, unfortunately, Dave. It goes so fast. But before I let you go, who are you picking to win the Open Championship, which starts Thursday already? It starts immediately. That's right. I, I, look, John Rahm is always such a, uh, such a force in the game. I'd like to see him continue his major championship uh uh, sweep trying to get all four, but uh, I, I like Scotty Scheffler. I just think he's going to think his way around the golf course. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this Open Championship. Boy, like a very unique 
open championship venue. You can try power, but the brains always help you around this place. So I, I, I'm going with Scheffler. And the uh, last to win there, none other than Rory McIlroy, who right now is 1,300. You know, the Scottish Open is going on. They had to uh, get the tee times earlier this morning because of inclement weather forecast, and he right now is one back at 1,300 behind Robert McIntyre, a Scot. Men, a Scotsman. Anyway, Dave, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. You know, whether you're talking golf or picking out music as a DJ at your parties, it's always fun to spend time with you. <laughs> thanks, Andy. Always love seeing you and talking to you. Take care, Dave Marr. All right, coming up, Mary B. Porter, former LPGA Tour player, co-founder of the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association, which uh, actually helps develop junior golfers, including last week's U.S. Women's Open champion, Allison Corpus, and, of course, Michelle Wee, the 2014 U.S. Women's Open champ. She'll be coming up right after this. But first, let me tell you that as the brand ambassador for Ivy Cool, I can attest to the high-quality, performance-driven, leisure apparel line that is perfect to wear on and off the course. Not only does the moisture sensor fabric keep me cool on the links, Ivy Cool garments also feature UPF 50 plus sun protection. All this plus a wide variety of colorful and stylish silhouettes in tops, shorts, pants, skirts, and dresses. And men can choose from any styles as well. Look your best, protect your skin. Ivy Cool. Learn more at ibkul.com. It's Talking Golf with Ann Ligori on the fan. Welcome back to Talking Golf with Ann Ligori. And my guest is Mary B. Porter, former LPGA Tour player spanning two decades, co-founder of the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association, five-year member of the PGA of America Rules Committee, serves on the USGA Junior Amateur Committee, served on the USGA Executive Committee. Wow. Mary B. has been so involved in golf on so many levels, and it's an honor to have you on Talking Golf. Welcome to the show, Mary B. Good morning, Anna. It's always wonderful to see you and hear all you're doing to promote the game of golf. So you're one of my favorites. Aren't you sweet for saying I truly appreciate that. And uh, well, let's start with you must have just been overjoyed with Allison Corapuz's U.S. Women's Open win. I mean, she is from Hawaii and you're based in Hawaii. Well, she is a young lady that uh, I think the world of golf kind of knew, or the smaller world of golf around Hawaii. Obviously, everyone knew Allison and and USC. Um, she was, you know, went to USC as a Trojan, so everyone was pretty aware of her, and the USJ was aware uh, as she competed in so many USJ championships as a young player. Um, and which is something that I always promote is to try to get our kids. You can't win a national championship unless you enter it. So. And Allison entered them. I think she played in 19 USGA championships. So I'm very aware of Allison, and, and I've known her since she was seven years old. And she shot a 369 in the final round to win by three shots. And it was her very first professional title, right? It, a major championship. Right. And she had done well uh, earlier this year, too, You know, she, where she was in contention. And I think she learned from her mistakes as we all make or not necessarily mistakes. I think you all have to go through that and to figure out how do you react under stress? And it's funny because one of the things I always tell my parents in junior golf is that my job is to make your child uncomfortable. And they, they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, we don't grow in our comfort. We only grow in our discomfort. And I, I really work on that to make them 
feel a little uncomfortable and so that they can grow. And Allison's done that. And she's always pushed herself in playing above her age level. And I won't necessarily above her ability, but she's always pushed herself to be in an uncomfortable situation. So she's obviously learned a lot from that. Watching her play in the U.S. Open last week was crazy. So give me some examples, because that's very interesting and very effective, obviously. How do you put junior golfers in some uncomfortable scenarios so that they can learn to, to deal with all kind of adversity? So my goal, like I said, it, it, I even from the beginning when they arrive and they show up at registration, I try to have new faces there all the time because a lot of kids will just come to registration and oh, there's Anne. She knows it's me and I don't have to tell her my name and I don't have to do anything. And I put them there and they'll stand in front of somebody and finally the person will say, do you have a name or do you, can you tell me? And uh, they're like, oh, okay. And they're, and they're a little edgy, a little uncomfortable. And then also when I start them uh, on the first tee, I have someone announcing them to make them feel uh, a little edgy because it's uh, when you get into a major championship like a, a U.S. Open or a Women's Open or any USJ championship or any national championship, they're announcing you on the tee. And if you don't understand how your body works at that moment, um, you're, I remember my, my first U.S. Open, I don't think I'd get the ball to stay on the tee, you know, and, and your heart rate's so high and you, and you have to learn that. And, and it comes with experience. And uh, I think she's continually tested herself through the years and, and performed. Yeah. Controlling those nerves in so many different situations is key. And yes, she looked so unflappable and unfazed almost to the extent of, I was wondering if she even knew that she'd won at the end of the final round because <laughs> initially she didn't really look so happy, you know? And that's a little bit who she is. She's never shown much emotion. Even as a young child, she used to have a little two wheeled cart. I kept saying three wheel, but it was a two wheeled little put pull cart. And she had it all the way through junior golf and she paid and played in some PGA junior uh, series uh, championships, the PGA junior championship. And she brought that little two wheeled pull cart and you couldn't tell if she was shooting a hundred or she was shooting 60. Um, and which is great. I think it's a great temperament to have. Um, I'm sure inside internally um, she was grinding and what she said, she was nervous. Of course she was nervous. You have to be nervous. Um, any, any player's nervous, but it's a matter of figuring out how to calm those nerves and understand that, geez, I'm full of adrenaline right now and I better club back. Um, you know, I better, I, I can't hit this nine, nine. I better be hitting a wedge, which sounds stupid in numbers, but um you know, when you get so much adrenaline and you, you have to figure out what does your body do and how do you react to it? So I know I you, you co-founded the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association. Uh, can you give us some background on the role that you and this association have played, not only with Allison's game, but with junior golfers in Hawaii? Someone like Michelle Wee, you mean too, uh, who was one <laughs> sure. of my other U.S. Open winners. Um, so when I basically was reaching retirement on tour, I had gone on to the USJ Junior Girls Committee in 93, I believe. And, and it's something I never thought I would do. And I had to take rules tests and I had to do all these things. And I discovered that I was an idiot as far as rules were concerned. And uh, I had married and moved over here when my son was six and I was sort of ending my career. I played very few tournaments through the 90s. But um, 
I saw how little Hawaii had for our kids. And I grew up in Southern California where we had a tournament. I could play in three tournaments a week. They might've been one day tournaments, but there was a tournament and you teed it up and you paid your $2 and you got your lunch and a drink and, and um, you're at the golf course all day and somebody would drop you off and you'd be picked up at dark. And, uh, but I had that opportunity. And I think that, yeah, that Hawaii didn't have that. And, and obviously for some, for some good reasons, we are an Island state, which is very unique. So we had to figure out a way to overcome some of those challenges. And so as, as I got near retirement, I really felt uh, sorry for a lot of our kids here because you're not going to be good playing three tournaments a year. And you're not going to be, have opportunities that other kids on the mainland would have just with three tournaments a year. So we started, um, we, we formed the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association in 1998, and I was soon the president, and I'm still the president of it, but I actually was the, you know, the uh, chief bottle washer as well. I did everything, and I was, you know, going from tournament to tournament, running tournaments, and especially when Allison was young, and Michelle was young, um, Michelle Wee, and um, I, I really tried to just give them as many opportunities, and this was a little bit before 9-11, we had one-day tournaments where you could fly to another island. And at that time, it was very inexpensive. And we had a bus to pick them up, and we took them to the course. And we even got national rankings for those, which, due to some friends, Matt, Matt there uh, with Junior Golf Scoreboard helped me there. So our kids got ranked. And um, because otherwise they couldn't. For them to afford to go play an AJGA tournament, it cost the family $5,000 to go up there and, and or just to go qualify. And we did work out some exemptions with AJGA. So I, I was very involved for, uh, and I'm actually more involved right now, uh, just because of after COVID, it's been so difficult to get staffing. So, but we, my whole goal was to give these kids just an opportunity and they're going to have to do the work. They're going to have to practice. They're going to have to spend the time if they want to be good. And one of the things that I did, especially with our girls, um, I knew a lot of college coaches. I know a lot of college coaches because many of them played the tour with me. And uh, they would call me and ask me, can those, can your Hawaii kids, can they hit it anywhere? Can they, do they have distance? And at that time they really didn't because no one was pushing them. And my goal was to push them, make them uncomfortable. Okay. And if for some reason, I don't think a 10 year old should be hitting 18 greens and two putting and shooting par. I know I certainly didn't. I know how thrilled I was when I made my first par, you know, and it was difficult and, and you strove to make be a par shooter. So I did that and I lengthened the courses on them and, and for the boys as well. And, uh, and I challenged them and they met that challenge. Um, and, uh, and they've all met challenges. You know, these aren't our first national champions because we had Kimberly Kim won the women's amateur. Um, Kyung Kim won the pub links, you know, we, and Michelle won the pub links and Casey Watabu won the pub links and beat Anthony Kim. So we've had a lot of great successes through the years. And, and those aren't, it isn't, that isn't why I do it. And I do it really to get these kids in education as well, to get them off island uh, to see something else in the world um, and if they bring that education back to Hawaii that's a bonus but also to give them just the gift of golf and I, I was given that gift at age seven and I 
I just feel very compelled to continue to give that gift in, that I was given by Betty Hicks, who was my first teacher, and to teach them the right way, the etiquette, the things that I feel we're missing in the game right now, but to teach them uh, a game for a lifetime. And um, I think we've been pretty successful out here. Certainly have. Michelle We was on Talking Golf a few weeks ago, and she actually talked about trying to play as many tournaments as she can, including PGA Tour events that were on the islands, because getting to the mainland was so expensive and really not possible at that age. So it was interesting how, you know, all these opportunities came up, which are so needed. Uh, you've officiated over 100 U.S. national championships. So share exactly what that means at these national champions. What exactly do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Um, well, it used to be that the USGA or um, the British Open, the different national championships, you walked with a group. Um, and so, which I, I enjoyed because then you're right there. You could see what happened. You could see where the ball crossed the penalty area. You could see where it went out of bounds or you could see where it entered to go search. And you were really involved. And um, uh, right before COVID, actually, they switched it to where you're actually stationary on a hole. At Augusta, that was the same thing too. At Augusta, I, I was fortunate to officiate there for five years and you're, you're assigned a hole. And depending on what year you are, and you have to have a score, you have to, you know, at that time you had to have a 92 score out of 100 and a, a, two, a, two, a two hour test or a four hour, I don't know how long the test is, it seems like it's forever. And um, to be able to give rulings. And uh, I, I've been doing that and I've been very fortunate that I've, I've officiated at Augusta and I officiated at the Open, the British Open at St. Andrews and, and the uh, RDA was so kind to give me Jack Nicholas on his Thursday round, his last round last week at, um, at, at St. Andrews. So, um, and so you're there to make the call. Um, and you know, sometimes you better know your stuff. It's that all of a sudden the camera's in your face and a microphone and they're listening to you and you just hope to goodness you get it right. Um, but you know, it, from coming from a player side, I feel that I, I've had a little bit of an up, with that because I understand what the player's going through. I understand that a player does not want to hear a rules number. They just want to know how to get out of jail. And I've had to ask that question many times in my life as a player, you know, just, to, I don't want to know, just tell me how I get out of here. What do I do? And, um, and if they ask me, what are my options? I'm going to tell them all their options because sometimes we don't think about that when you're in the heat of the moment. Um, you don't think about, Oh, geez, I never thought I could go over there. That's a, that's a better option. So, to all your listeners, just ask your rules official, what are my options? And you'll get all the options and maybe find a better one. And you have to really know. I mean, there's so much to know in the rules of golf. And you have to really be on, as you say, because there's national TV cameras in your face at any given moment. And ironically, in the final round, you had to make a calling for Allison Corpus <laughs> as well at the U.S. <laughs> Women's Open. I did. And uh, it, it was it was funny because obviously they were my last group. I was on hole five, the par three. And um, and as the media comes, probably 75 different media from camera and, you know, every which way, they sort of blocked my view of the green where I was sitting. And um, and I, I figured uh, Hasa had hit it in the bunker and she had knocked it out. I saw she was safe. And then I knew Allison was on the side of the green. And the next thing I know, kind of like in, in unison, everyone turns and looks at me. 
And I'm like, what? They need a ruling on the green. I go, oh, great. So anyway, I go up there and it's Allison. And, and, you know, at that point, I'm just holding my breath for her because it's such a big stage and it's, um, and there's so many things that can happen, especially at Pebble beach. It's, it's a difficult, difficult golf course. And I, you know, she, I think she felt comfortable because it's Mary B's there. And it's like, Oh, hi, Mary B. And hi, Allison. You know, and I've been giving her ruling since a little girl. And um, I remember one particular ruling that she had dropped it in the wrong place, but um, anyway, where she did get penalized, but uh, she's taken that well, but I gave her the ruling and um, we walked through it and, uh, and off I went and I still held my breath till the very end to see, to make sure she got there. And she continued completely unfazed, which was so true to character and one of the reasons why she's the U.S. Women's Open champion. Well, you know, back in the 80s, Mary B. Porter was playing at a tournament and saved the life of an infant who was actually drowning in a pool. Well, that's a story for another time. But each year, the Met Golf Writers Association presents the Mary B. Porter Humanitarian Award in her honor at our national awards dinner. She's just extraordinary. Anyway, well, thanks so much for listening. My thanks to Mary B. Porter, to Dave Marr, and to Ed Arzuman in the studio. Talking Golf with Allegoria was brought to you by Ivy Cool Luxury Athleisure Apparel for Men and Women, featuring the exclusive Iceville cooling technology, along with UPF 50 Plus Sun Protection. Visit IBKUL.com to learn more. Stay tuned for Mark Malusis. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Sunday morning right here on Talking Golf with Ann McCoy. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.